Our scripture reading for today comes from Romans chapter 7, uh, verses 15 through 25. I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. This is Paul speaking about himself. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that the good does not dwell within me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, there are times when reading the Bible, when studying scripture, that we really notice the gap between the ancient world of the Bible and our modern world, this 21st century life that we are living. There uh, are times when we really need to dig deep into uh, the cultural and historical background of the writer to really grasp uh, what the writer is trying to say to us. This is not one of those times. (laughs) You do not need a seminary degree Uh, to understand what Paul is talking about here. You do not need to know much about his context or his audience. Uh, All you need is a mirror and a healthy dose of honesty. Someone tell me why I do the things I don't want to do and why it is the things I want to do, I don't do. Someone tell me why it is I seem to always sabotage my relationships, or my career, or my health. If we could just figure this out, wouldn't life be a little bit easier? I mean, wouldn't we all maybe be a bit happier if we could just understand the reason? Well, in his book, Low Anthropology, uh, which we've invited you to read alongside of us throughout Lent, and which is kind of serving as inspiration for our worship together over the next few weeks, uh, Dave Zoll, Uh, describes this inner conflict, which we've called, in fact, in our confession today, a war, the war within us. He calls it doubleness. Uh, It's the second pillar of what Dave calls a low anthropology. So in addition to limitation, which Thomas touched on last week, and self-centeredness, which we will um, explore next week. Come back for self-centeredness next week. (laughs) Man, it's going to be great, I promise. Doubleness uh, helps us paint a rather accurate, rather than ideal picture of human nature. Uh, Here's how Dave defines doubleness. 
Uh, doubleness refers to the competing forces or voices that drive our behavior. Uh, when Dave was with us just a few weeks ago for our foundation lectures, he said that doubleness captures the reality uh, that human decision-making is less like a flowchart and more like a really bad committee meeting. <laughs> Which if you've ever served on a committee, and should be a lot of you Presbyterians, you know what that can sometimes be like. Or think about uh, Maurice Sendak's book, uh, Where the Wild Things Are, which um, is a story about Max's attempt to tame the wild things inside of him, right? I read this book all the time to my son, Elliot, and I can't tell if it helped or made things worse. <laughs> but in the book, Max actually is able to tame the wild things. Um, the movie depiction, if you've seen the movie depiction, I think is, is it's interesting because in the movie, Max is, is actually not able to tame the wild things. And the truth is that we all have wild things inside of us. Eugene Peterson translates Paul's words like this. Um, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. Can you relate? When our children were younger, uh, my wife and I were very careful about screens and screen time, right? It seemed to be what everybody was super nervous about. Uh, everybody could kind of agree that like the one thing that was bad for children with screens, you know? And so we were, we were really careful. I mean, we were, we were the annoying parents that like really prided ourselves on like not giving our phone to our children at a restaurant when what everybody wanted around us was for us to give a phone to our children <laughs> at the restaurant, you know? We're teaching them to be great conversationalists, we would say. That backfired. So we did everything we could to limit their screen time, their usage anyway. Do you remember like three years ago when the pandemic hit? <laughs> After about 48 hours of lockdown, I said to my, my kids, I said, boys, this is an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna love it. <laughs> Don't judge me. Uh, it was... It was their only connection to the outside world. It was their only connection to anyone, right? Except for my wife and I. Um, and suddenly though, after years of strict boundaries, they had a lot of screen time. Uh, fast forward about a year from that uh, experience, my oldest, who was six at the time, he was in first grade, uh, went back to school. But because not all of his classmates had returned to in-person uh, teaching, um, the kids had to sit at their desks and be on their iPad, right? So the teacher was in front of them, but to make it kind of an equitable, equitable experience, everybody was still on an iPad. So he sat there ensconced by plexiglass, right? Think of a penalty box. He was in a penalty box um, on, his, on his iPad, uh, you know, watching the teacher and then doing his assignments via his iPad. And he knew, because we were very clear with him, that his iPad was only for academic purposes. First graders love the word academic. Um, so this is for school, and we were very clear with him. And um, 
but we discovered after a while that he was actually using his iPad to play Minecraft. Now, if you don't know what Minecraft is, somebody tell me, because I actually don't know what it is either. It's, it's, it's a video game, as best as I, I can tell. Um, and so when he got home from school, you know, I was disappointed. I was a little bit angry because, you know, we'd been very clear with him. Um, and I asked him, you know, why, why did you do this? You know, you knew better. You knew better. And he looked at me, uh, and he was somewhat confused. And he just said to me, I couldn't stop myself. I couldn't stop myself. And when he said that, I just noticed myself uh, soften. Right? He didn't say, well, my friends were playing it, or um, I didn't think it was a big deal, or you know, I was bored. He just, it was a very honest moment. I just couldn't stop myself. And all I could think to say to him was, yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling too. And that feeling, uh, Dave tells us, is doubleness. Uh, the moment that your willpower just fails you. Um, now, I know that what at least some of you are thinking is, it's clear that John is just not a very good father. You know? If he just ran a tighter ship, you know, his sons would possess a stronger um, willpower. And you may be right. You are actually probably right. But before you judge me, or especially before you judge my first grader, okay, be honest with yourself for a moment. You know, think about uh, the time that you did something you knew you shouldn't have and later regretted. Think about the time that you said something you, wish, you wished you hadn't. Think about uh, that thing that you bought that you didn't really need. Think about the time that you lied or that you cheated. Think about, um, take the moral dimension out of it. Think about those mornings where the alarm goes off and you know that you should go to the gym or you should go on a run, but you just hit the snooze button. Or perhaps it's really late at night and you have an early morning, but there's just two more episodes <laughs> of Ted Lasso season two to finish before the new season comes out on Wednesday. <laughs> and when you think about why you behave these ways, the best you can kind of come up with is that you just lack the willpower to stop yourself. Well, doubleness is a term that I think helps us make sense of the lives we actually have, right? Our motivations are mixed. There is a bad committee meeting raging in our head. And Paul tells us that the purpose of the law is to point out this fundamental conflict. But the law can't resolve it. We actually need something more, something greater to bring us peace. Now, some people have tried to make the, make the argument that Paul is uh, describing his life before Christ, uh, as if to say that Christians don't really struggle with this anymore. It's the law that's the villain. It's not us. But if you've been a Christian for longer than 10 minutes, you know that that isn't true. What makes more sense to the actual lives that we are living is that even those who uh, believe in Christ still struggle, like Paul. And Martin Luther, uh, the reformer Martin Luther said that we are simultaneously saints and sinners, and we remain so uh, until the end of our lives. Now, I know that some of you really just don't like this concept of low anthropology. I know because you've told me. 
And I appreciate that, I really do. Uh, it frustrates you, low anthropology frustrates you because you think that it, it lets you uh, off the hook or more importantly, maybe you think it lets others off the hook for their bad behavior and we just don't really like that. And so I wanna be really clear because I think Dave is really clear in the book, I think Paul is really clear too, that uh, low anthropology isn't cynicism, it isn't nihilism, uh, doubleness is not uh, meant to justify or to excuse behavior. Uh, it's meant to explain it, right? Paul is being descriptive here, not prescriptive. He's not saying, hey, you should live this way. He's saying, this is who you are. Take a look at yourself. Luther uh, was right. We are all simultaneously saints and sinners. And I actually think that the greater risk is not that we over-identify as a sinner, but that we deny it altogether. We deny it altogether. And we do, as, as Thomas mentioned in his confession, confession, we pretend that we don't have it in us. And that only leads to, to shame, to dishonesty, and to hiding, to hiding. But thankfully, what Paul gives to us by inviting us into his own inner conflict is the freedom to examine ourselves without fear, without fear. He says in the very next verse, in Christ there is no condemnation. To be in Christ doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. I mean, come on. It means there is no mistake that Christ hasn't forgiven. There is no mistake that Christ won't forgive. What a relief, right? What a relief. So we are free to confess that our actions don't always align with our ideals. We are free to admit that we sometimes are people who sabotage our best intentions. And when we do, when we confess this, when we admit this, when we accept it, I think that we just might discover compassion. We might discover compassion for ourselves, grace for ourselves, as well as for other people other people around us, the people we're in relationship to, the people we interact with on a day-in, day-out basis. This um, doubleness, I think, helps us make uh, what Will Gadara calls uh, the charitable assumption. Uh, Will Gadara was the, is the former co-owner of Eleven Madison Park, which uh, in New York City, which was rated a few years ago as the best restaurant in the world. And uh, Will uh, credits this philosophy uh, as the reason that they had such success. And the philosophy is to make the charitable assumption. Will says that uh, in the service industry, if you've ever worked in a restaurant, uh, it's a very fast-paced um, environment, and sometimes, sometimes, guests aren't all that great. And sometimes, he says, uh, when uh, people are being difficult, it's human nature to decide that they no longer deserve your best service your best attention. But Will says this, he says, another approach is to think maybe the person is being dismissive because their spouse asked for a divorce or because a loved one is ill. Maybe this person needs more love, needs more hospitality than anyone else in the room. Make the charitable assumption. This philosophy, this phrase, uh, is one of the reasons that I think their restaurant was recognized not only for its incredible food, but its extraordinary service, its hospitality. And I think that one of the reasons for that is, is pretty obvious, and that is that our culture is not, um, it's, not where, it's not one where charitable assumptions are the norm, 
right? I don't know what your experience on Mopac is, um, just as an example, but it's quite the opposite, right? We, we often make um, the, the opposite assumption. We assume the worst. And that this leads us to split people. We split people into good or to bad. We split them into sinner or saint, into right or wrong. You're either on the right side of history or the wrong side of history, right? And once we have labeled someone as toxic or problematic, it's very hard for us to see anything else about them. It's doubleness that keeps us from doing this. It's doubleness that keeps us from splitting people. It helps us accept that people are far more complicated than their actions often reveal. And we're able to do this because we look at ourselves and we know that our actions are far more complicated than who we really are. Uh, the British philosopher Roger Scruton once wrote that in order to learn how to love human beings, it's necessary to apply a small dose of pessimism. It also works wonders with toddlers as well. No one is perfect. No one is perfect. And accepting that, once you can accept that, then you actually have a stand, you stand a chance at loving people. The more comfortable that we are with our own doubleness, with our own doubleness, the truth of what Paul talks about here, I think the more easily we will make uh, the charitable assumption with others. We'll make the charitable assumption with our spouse, with our children, um, with our coworkers, our boss, our direct reports, maybe on Mopac. Just think about the difference a charitable assumption might make on your relationships just this week. Just think what it might do to your own uh, internal bitterness, or your own resentments of other people's behavior. Again, um, it doesn't excuse anything, but the power of doubleness is that the energy uh, we save from trying to wrap our minds around why people behave the way they do, we can actually put to better use. We can put into uh, the hard work of forgiveness and perhaps even love. Paul's insight should keep us sober, should keep us humble about our own spiritual progress. It's a good reminder as we make our way to the cross this Lenten season. It tells us that everything we fear is actually true. We are not always the people we want to be. Everything we have done wrong, Paul tells us, we have really done wrong. The right things that we want to do, we have failed to do. Even as we are redeemed saints, we are still sinners. And yet, and yet, the good news is that Christ came to save None but sinners. And so like Paul, all that is left to do is to say, thanks be to God. Amen.